went back that night to our motel. We got in bed early the next morning on the Sea of Galilee. We had a sunrise service. Dr. John Reynolds had a sunrise service. It was a great sunrise service. Uh, we went out on a boat on the Sea of Galilee, and right in the middle of the sea, I'm looking at the water, and Daniel Cox, who's a pastor in Florida, was asked to sing that very song. And when he began to sing that song, it hit me, and it hit me like a ton of bricks. Not just me, but there was a boat full of pastors. And we realized that this is the very sea that Jesus walked on. This is the very sea in which he calmed the waters. And uh, from that point on, it was an emotional experience, one right after another, right after another, right after another. And when Harry told me he was going to sing that song, it immediately took me back to that moment. And you know, music does that. Music's important. We, we didn't create music. God created music. And I, 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 I marvel at our musicians, our singers, how they can move their hands and make such glorious sounds is beyond me. It, it was good, Sister Vicky, to hear you back on the, on the piano. And I'll tell you what, those Pentecostals make great Baptist worship lead team. I'm just saying. She grew up Pentecostal. She did grow up Pentecostal. And uh, they make great Baptist piano players, I'm just telling you. Would you stand with me, please? And as we honor the Lord for reading of his word, Hebrews chapter number 9. And I just want to say this while you're standing. I don't ever want it to be in our church when we are worshiping that it's, we're filling space. It's not. It's so much more. And I hope that today I can communicate with you what God shared with me through this text in my study. Just how blessed we are, church. How blessed we are just to know our Lord and Savior. You know, when we were standing here singing, in Sciota County, all across Sciota County, there were churches worshiping the Lord. All across the United States, in our each different time zone, and around the world, each time zone. And I've often wondered this. I wonder if the time zones are set so constantly praise is coming up before the Heavenly Father. You ever think about that? Isn't that cool? You know, one group, sunset and sunrise and singing and worshiping and it's constantly going on and on. And he's worthy of our praise. And if I can get you to leave this building this morning saying, oh, what a Savior. Oh, what a Savior we have. Then I, I've done what is request, required of me behind this sacred desk. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 1. Then indeed, even the first covenant had ordinances of divine service and the earthly sanctuary. For a tabernacle was prepared, the first part in which was the lampstand, the table, the showbread, which is called the sanctuary, and behind the second veil, the part of the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer, the ark of the covenant, overlaid on all sides with gold, in which were the golden pot that had manna, Aaron's rod that budded, and the tablets of the covenant. And above it were the cherub, cherubim of glory, overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. Now when these things had been thus prepared, the priests always went in the first part of the tabernacle performing the services. 
But into the second part, the high priest went alone once a year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the people's sins committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit indicating this, that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was still standing. It was symbolic for the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make him who performed the service perfect in regard to to the conscience. Concerned with only foods and drinks, various washings and fleshly ordinances imposed until the time of the Reformation. But Christ came as a high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood he entered into the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and and of the ashes of the heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And for this reason he is the mediator of the new covenant by means of the death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant, that those who are called may receive the promise of the internal, eternal inheritance. For where there is a testament, there must also be a necessity, the death of the testator. For a testament is in force after men are dead, since it has no power at all while the testator lives. Therefore, not even the first covenant was dedicated without blood. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats with water, scarlet wool, and hyssop, and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you. Then likewise he sprinkled with the blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. And according to the law... Almost all things were purified with blood, and without shedding of blood there is no remission of sins. Therefore it was necessary that the copies of the things in heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for us. Not that he should offer himself often as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with the blood of another. He then would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now once at the end of the ages he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And it is appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many to those who eagerly await for him. He will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. Heavenly Father, bless the reading of your word. Lord, we come here and we need you. And I just bow before you and I ask you right now that you would still our, our hearts, calm our spirits. 
Lord, may we focus upon you. May everything else that's going on be insignificant. May it not matter. May we just concentrate on you and your word. And may it pierce our hearts. And Lord, do its work in our soul. Father, we love you. We need you. And we thank you so much for your work and what you did on the cross of Calvary for us. God, we bow again asking you to bless us. And Lord, we're, we're, we're thankful you have blessed us so much. But Lord, we ask yet again for more blessings. And we ask for your presence to be experienced this morning. Have your will in your way. And Lord, again, I need your help. In Jesus' name we pray. And amen. Thank you. you may be seated. In the first ten verses, we find out that there were restrictions, restrictions of the old covenant. There were restrictions. There, there were regulations. It was regulation-based. Notice with me in verse 1. Then indeed, even the first covenant had ordinances of divine service and the earthly sanctuary. For a tabernacle was prepared, and he lists all the items after that that they had to have. I don't know about you, but rules are something, right? Everybody, really, if you were true, your flesh, and you would be honest, you would say, I do not like rules. And with one exception, you like your rules. Right? And I like my rules. I'm no different than you. We like our own rules. And so many churches have missed the point of Christianity. They miss the point of Jesus Christ dying on the cross of Calvary. There are many so-called churches around the land, and, and I, I'm not speaking about, I'm not telling you anything other than just, you need to see this. There are many churches around the land that are regulation-based. If you're going to be right with God, you've got to do this. If you're going to be right with God, you've got to do that, and you can't do this. If you're going to be right with God, and they have all these regulations, you've got to go into the confession booth. You've got to do this. You've got to speak in tongues. You've got to do all, all these regulations. You, you, you know, women can't wear pants, and their hair has to be this long, and you can't wear makeup, and, you know, guys have to wear a suit, and all of these regulations, and none of which have any have any, have any supporting scripture. And we've made church regulation based. We, we look at people and we think, well, they come in and they look all, you know, good. That, that, wow, they need to be in our church. And, and then you look at someone who comes in that might look a little different than we and might be, uh, look rough around the edges, might be all tatted up. And we're thinking, oh, well, you know, and regulation based. We're missing the point of Christianity. We are missing the point of Christianity. They, uh, in the Old Testament, they had an order that was regulated that they had to abide by. Once a year, they would take that perfect lamb and they would go and they would bring it to the priest and that perfect sacrifice. There were uh, turtle dove offerings, there were ram offerings, there were grain offerings, there were all these different offerings. I'm reading, I happen to be in my Bible, daily Bible reading, reading Leviticus at the same time I'm studying this in Hebrews. And I'm thinking, thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you. I am under your blood. And I don't have to do this. If I were... If we still lived under the old covenant, I would be nothing more than a butcher. I would be sacrificing animal, taking the blood, sprinkling it on the altar, and all that. But thank God I don't have to do that. 
They were regulation-based. And they would take that sacrifice, and only the priest could go into the, the first part, which had the showbread and had all the other instruments. And then they would take to the high priest, and only the high priest could go into the holiest of holies, behind the second veil, behind the veil. The common person did not have access to God. Now I want you to think about that for a moment. They did not have access to God. Adam and Eve had wonderful access to God. They had fellowship daily with God until they disobeyed God. And when they disobeyed God, that fellowship was interrupted. They no longer had the access they had before they fell. And every generation after that did not have the access. All they had was the regulation. That's all they had. Regulations. They had to go through a priest. And I've often thought, well, what if the priest messed up with my sacrifice? You know, who's guilty? Is the priest or me? I mean, think about it. And I wouldn't want to be a priest with someone else's sacrifice because I know me and I would mess it up. But there were restrictions of the Old Covenant. It was regulation-based. It blocked access to God. It was a continual works of service. Could you imagine the scene on the day that everybody went into the temple once a year, or to the tabernacle, excuse me, we're not talking about the temple, we're talking about the tabernacle, to offer up that sacrifice, and they were sprinkling the blood all over the place of every animal? Could you imagine the death? Could you imagine the stench? Could you imagine... All of that? Could you imagine having to continually do something to be accepted by God? It was temporal in, in efficacy. In other words, it was only temporal. You had to do it every year. You had to do it every year. And it was based on the law. See, this is the old covenant. And it amazes me how some people who call themselves Christians want to take the church back under a regulation-based continual work of service that's temporal in nature, that's based on the law, that has no power to change anyone's life. There's a church that says you have to go to church on Saturday night because of the Sabbath. You come to Colossians in the New Testament and it tells you... Not to let anybody judge you on the Sabbath. On whether you participate on the Saturday or we worship on Sunday because of the resurrection. It's the restrictions of the old covenant. And listen to me. Here's what happens, church. When you put yourself back under the law and all of these regulations, you are blocking your access to God. Because God doesn't delight in the blood of bulls and goats. But look at verse number 11. This is, man, mm, let me go back to verse 10. Concerning only with foods and drinks, various washings and fleshly ordinances, 
imposed, now watch this, until the time of Reformation. The very next word is but. B-U-T. It is means contrast. It means you're going this way. Now you're turning and going the opposite way. We're going away from regulation-based. We're going away from access block to God. We're going away from continual works of service and temporal in its efficient efficacy. And we're going away from being based on the law to Christ. They're contrasted. They're not one in the same. It is different. Altogether different. And so let's look at the reforming work of Christ. I love that word. The reforming work of Christ. Verse 11. But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come. The first reforming work of Christ is Christ came. And He came as your high priest and my high priest. Those of us who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, He is our great high priest. You did not come to Him. He came to you. He came to you. That's reforming in nature. Because by mere saying that, it implies Jesus is God. He came to us. The restriction is removed. When Brother Harry sings, He came to me, it's not just a song. It's a truth. It's a truth that God of all glory came to me as my high priest. He came to you as your high priest. Notice this. With greater and more perfect tabernacle. Not made with hands, that is not of this creation. The writer of Hebrews goes to great lengths to paint the picture that he is not at all representative of anything man does, creates, works, nothing. This is divine. This is something that is perfect. This is something that is far beyond anything on this earth. It's the sanctuary of heaven. Now, we know that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit were together. They were always been together. They're three in one. They created this earth. Man messed up, as every one of us has. And the great high priest, Jesus, left the real, the true sanctuary in heaven and came to this earth to die on the cross for you and for me. That's the reforming work of Christ. First of all, He came. Secondly, He entered. He entered. Look at verse number 12. Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with His own blood He entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Do you you get that? 
Do you see that? Christ entered the most holy place with His blood. He took His blood to the mercy seat. He took His blood to the altar. He took His blood and presented it to the Father, and the Father was satisfied with His blood on your behalf and on my behalf. He entered for you and for me. The third reforming work of Christ is Christ obtained. He obtained eternal redemption. Now listen to me. I I know that you might be here and and you might have a a different understanding of salvation and, and its eternality in nature. But I want to show you based on this scripture, and there are many other scriptures, Christ obtained eternal, which means never ends, redemption. What that means is, it's a work of Christ, and He has done it, and it has never failed. Jesus Christ never did anything halfway. He never did anything conditional. He did everything to the utmost. As a matter of fact, we read earlier in Hebrews that He saves to the uttermost. And by phrasing here, by seeing this, this is a work of Christ, and in my mind and my understanding, my eternal redemption is based solely on the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. What that means is, it's not about me keeping my salvation. It's not about me walking away from my salvation. My salvation has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with Jesus Christ and what He obtained on the cross of Calvary. And I am not strong enough to take away my eternal redemption from the Lord Jesus Christ. That is a blessing to me. I was at a conference one time or a, a youth event and the guy was speaking and he was preaching and, and uh, he said, in the midst of his preaching, he said, you know, I remember I was at work one day and I did this and I was, I was thinking, I've got to get home and confess my sins. I don't want to have a, die, a wreck on, on the road and die and go to hell. What kind of life is that? Do you know that every one of Christ's disciples fail? You know why? Because they were human. They were none. There were none. There is none righteous, no, not one. Your, right, your works are, your righteousness is as filthy rags, the Word of God says. My righteousness is too. It's never been based on us. It's always been based on Christ. What Jesus Christ did. This is the reforming work of Christ. But we want to say, okay, Jesus Christ died and he, took, he, uh, he came as our high priest. He entered into the most holy with blood applied to my life and he obtained eternal redemption for me. Now I have to speak in tongues to keep myself saved. Are you kidding me? You are diminishing the work of Christ. Paul said, if any man preaches another gospel, let him be accursed. Strong language. There is no other gospel. Christ... His reforming work changed things. And just so we have a clear 
picture in our minds when he died on the cross of Calvary, the veil was rent. It was torn in two. There's no veil. There's no first and second now. We have access to God the Father because of the reforming work of Jesus Christ. Yet we're going to make church about the world and we're going to make church about us and we're going to make church about being creative and innovative and technologically savvy and all of this gobbledygook. Church is about Jesus Christ. What are the results of the reforming work? Well, look at verse 14. I love this phrase. I love it. I mean, the writer is like, he's like, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, your conscience has been cleansed because of the reforming work of Jesus Christ. You get that? Because of the reforming work of Jesus Christ, our conscience is cleansed. Have you ever heard that song, What Sin? The whole idea is, listen, when you and I stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and we're born again believers, we're not going to stand because of sin. Sin was dealt with at the cross. We're going to stand before Him of a reward or a loss of reward, what we have done since we came to the cross. cleansed and you say well preacher you know i just struggle with my past sin that's your fault and i don't mean to be mean or cruel or unkind that is your fault i taught you in the scriptures the bible said i will no never no never remember your sins now if you're a born again believer in jesus christ and you sin what do you do the bible says first john 1 9 if we confess our sins He is faithful and just to cleanse us of our sins and uh, and forgive us of all unrighteousness. You just confess. You say about your sin what God says about your sin. And it's not just laying down at night and saying, Oh, God, forgive me for all my sins. No. God, you know, I I, I said something I shouldn't have said. That was very unchristlike. And it's wrong. And I confess it. I confess that it's wrong. And then you repent of it. Repentance means you don't do it again. You just turn. You say, well, how do I do that? you got the Holy Spirit living inside of you. The problem is we do what we want to do. We don't yield to the Holy Spirit. That's the problem right there. Number two, result of his reforming work, we receive the promise of the inheritance. And for this reason, he, Jesus, is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death. How did he ratify this covenant? By death. He died for you. For the redemption of the transgressions, transgressions, plural, under the first covenant, and those who are called, those of you who believe, called, may receive the promise of the internal, eternal inheritance. Not only do you have eternal redemptions, you have a clear conscience, but you and I have an eternal inheritance. Do you realize that one day you and I will be in the heavenly sanctuary? And everything that we've read about, 
Everything that we've sung about, everything that we've dreamed about will be a reality. And we will see the Lord Jesus Christ. We will see Him. Our faith will be sight. We have this promise. In all 66 books of the Bible, there's not been one time where God did not keep His promise. God always keeps His promises. If you think God has not kept His promise, you have a misunderstanding. You're not seeing something factually. The third result of His reforming work is He appeared in the presence of God for us. Now, this is interesting. Verse 16 says, For where there is a testament, where there's a will, let me put it in our language. For where there's a will, if you have a will, a will's not in effect until the guy that made the will dies. Does that make sense? Okay. Lives while the one who made the, the will lives. Therefore, not even the first covenant was dedicated without blood. Because of that, Moses took blood, and after they got the law, they sprinkled the books with, uh, with blood, right? Look down to verse 21. Then, likewise, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of ministry. So then he goes into the tabernacle. Remember the tabernacle was the earthly tent that they would take down, and when they moved, it's not the temple. The temple's different. We're talking about the tabernacle. And Moses would go in with that blood, and he would sprinkle the, all of the instruments inside. He would sprinkle it. All of it. Sprinkle it. Verse 22. And according to the law, now we're talking about the law, almost all things are purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. Now, a lot of times in churches, we quote that phrase, right? How many of you have heard that growing up? Oh, yeah, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. He says according to the law. He's talking about the law. But what I want you to see is that Jesus fulfilled the law. When he shed his blood, he fulfilled the law, and he took that in the blood into the heavenly sanctuary, and he presented that blood on our behalf to the Father. Verse 23, Therefore it was necessary that the copies of the things in heaven, heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. In other words, they could not have taken the blood of animals into the heavenly sanctuary to present it on our behalf. It wouldn't work. Why? Because nothing is allowed in heaven that's not perfect. Nothing is allowed in heaven that's not perfect. For Christ has not entered the holy place with, made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now watch this, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Not that he should offer himself up often as the high priest enters most holy place every year with the blood of another. The priest had to go in with everybody, their blood, blood for their behalf and blood for everyone else's behalf. But he says he then would have had to die often since the foundation of the world, but now once at the end of the ages. Once was enough. Bringing Jesus' blood to the Father on our behalf one time was enough. So you don't have to be saved over and over and over again. Once 
for all we used to sing in the church. One time. Why? Because of the power of his blood. Because of whose blood it was. So these are the results of the reform work. You say, okay, that's great. But how does that apply to me? What does that mean to me? What does that mean? So what? So what? Well, first of all, number one, because he took us before the Father, the restrictions are lifted, and now we have a relationship with him. Do you know the Bible says that you can call God Abba? Which means daddy, daddy. You have an intimate relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ because He presented His blood on your behalf. Not one person on this earth deserves that. Yet He did it for us. I do not have, I'm not made right with God by doing all these things, by preparing a little tabernacle and showbread and all these things and having this and no. I stand right before God because of what Jesus Christ did on my behalf. My behalf. He's lifted the restrictions and now we have relationship. I'm in a relationship with Him. I can talk with Him. I don't have to go to a priest. I don't have to go to a confession booth. I can talk directly to the Father. I don't have to go through Mary. I can go directly to the Father because Jesus Christ took my blood to Him and said, He's mine. He's mine. Number two, because of His blood, we have access to the Father. You are a child of God. Some years ago on the Oprah Winfrey show, there was a guy on there who was supposed to be a religious guru. And basically what he said was, we're all children of God. It was just a repackaged form of universalism. Universalism says that everybody's saved. In the end, God's going to save everybody. Yeah, they may go through bad times, they may be evil, but everybody's going to be saved. That's not biblical. The Bible teaches that you have to be born again to go to heaven. And you have to be born again to be a child of God. Now, I don't know if you like Oprah or not, and I'm not trying to offend you. Some of you ladies go out here. He, I can't believe he said something about Oprah. But I'm going to tell you this. She's mistaken. She's mistaken. We have access, and we are children of God, only because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Because He was in the presence of God for us. He appeared before the Father on our behalf. He is the mediator. He ratified that covenant when He died on the cross, when He was buried, and when He arose from the grave. You can come here on any Sunday and worship the Lord freely and understand that the Lord sees, knows, and hears and takes in your worship because of Jesus. You say, well, I can't sing. Sing anyways. It was that song uh, that one fellow, Uncle Jesse or something, he wanted to sing in a choir, and they wouldn't let him sing in the choir, and he died, and now he's singing in that choir up there. I'm not going to sing the song, but I always like that song. I can relate. I did sing one time in the choir. We had a cantata here, didn't I, Eugene? All right, I did. But there were other voices to drown out the wailing. But 
that wasn't a good place for an amen there, Bill. <laughs> Number three, because of his work, we have an internal, eternal inheritance. Because of his work, we have an eternal inheritance. Uh, guys, I want to say this to you. There, death is real. Death is real. And everyone in this room will face death one day. And I, I suspect, being a pastor and watching people go through different phases of their lives, I suspect that we all one day will be at a point in our lives where death is really a lot on our minds and our hearts. You may go through something physical, and, and, and death may be on your mind. Very, it might be a real possibility. And I don't know about you, but I like living. I mean, I, I like living. I really do. And I can't imagine what it must be like to be with our Savior, Jesus Christ, in glory. And I want to tell you this. There's nothing on this earth you can do to stop you from dying. I've told you a hundred times. If you're healthy, it means you're dying at the slowest possible rate. That's it. I mean, we're all dying. And I don't, I don't mean to be the grim, grim reaper up here. But I want to tell you, there's something better. When you know Christ as your Savior, the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. The only remedy to death is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the blood of Christ. It's that eternal inheritance that you and I own. You know on this earth you never really own your property. You, oh yeah, I do. We don't pay your taxes. You don't own your property. But you know in heaven, you have an inheritance. You own a piece of it. And it's not because you saved up for it and bought it. It's because it was gifted to you because of who you know. And I don't know about you, but there are people dying of all ages every day. And one of the most blessed thoughts I can think of is that if my life were to end today, I would be in the presence of my Savior. The one you guys have served, the ones you have loved and sung to, You'll be with Him. And it's not because you're good. It's not because you're deserving. It's because of the reforming work of Christ. You don't have to work yourself into heaven. You don't have to abuse yourself to get to heaven. You rest in the reforming, finished work of Christ. To get into heaven. Christian, we have made this so much about building our earthly empires that we don't rest in Christ. We don't enjoy. We don't enjoy life because we're too busy trying to build our empires. I watched the news this morning. I haven't watched the news in I don't know how long. I watched the news and I was like depressed, man. 
I'm like, I, I need to get around some of my church people. And I'm just saying, guys, we are so blessed that we are not under that old covenant. That we are under the blood of Christ. And I'm not real good at titling sermons, but if I had to title anything, I would put this, How Much More the Blood of Christ. How much more? Paul said, if I'm going to glory or boast about anything, I'm going to boast about the cross of Christ. You and I are blessed. Things may be bad here, but we have an eternal inheritance. No evil allowed there. No suffering there. I look at some of you and I know your stories. I know the suffering you've gone through. I know the beating your body has taken. Even in medical, trying to get you better, the beatings you've taken. But there's a day when none of that matters. There's a day when in heaven we will be with the Savior and it will be better than anything. The words, I don't have enough adjectives to describe it. I don't. But all I'm telling you is, thank God for the reforming work of Christ. And if you're a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, you ought to praise Him for His reforming work in your life. Because without Him, we'd have nothing, we'd be nothing. But thanks be unto God. Father, we love you. We bow before you.